sometimes there's more than meets the eye, right? Sometimes we are involved in things and we see one thing and we fail to see everything that's going on. We may not even know what's, you know, that there are other things going on. It's kind of like, you know, when we're trying to figure out, get you to feel that. You know when you, you have those optical illusions where those people are saying, don't you see it? Don't you see that thing? You see one thing, you're like, no, I don't. And people are telling you, no, look here, look here, look here. Like this one up here. Do you see the duck and the bunny? The bunny and the duck? Eventually, you will see both of them. But sometimes it takes some time to walk away and look back at it, and you see it in a different way. Like, there's another, like, the monk. If anybody ever watched the show Monk? Usually, yeah, we got a fan back there. Usually something happens right up front, some kind of mystery. And typically, we don't catch everything that's there. And the whole premise of the show is Monk comes through, and he sees things, and he analyzes it. And then by the end, he actually walks us through and helps us see what we didn't see ourselves by the end. And our lives can, can have the same thing that happens to us. We can go through and meet people that may seem so trivial. It's just this person's not an important person. But down the road, that encounter may prove to be very significant. Or some event or some decision that you made along the way or a series of decisions may have seemed very small, but in the end, wow, when you look back, you see something different because there is more than meets the eye. For me, there was a series of events back in 2002, early 2002, through to about the end of 2004, beginning of 2005. I'd been at IBM for probably 15 or 16 years, and there came an opportunity to buy a family business, a campground out on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, where I grew up. This was a dream. This is great. I approached it at least two or three times within that, those few years. Got very deep into looking at, you know, how much, the, how much goes in the business, how much comes out, looking at the business plans, talking with people. And long story short, after approaching it several times, it just didn't happen. We prayed about it, and for what, whatever reason, it didn't happen. We didn't understand it at that time. We scratched our heads. And, but at the end of 2005, God had different plans. He had something that I didn't see before, and that was a call into full-time ministry. So when I was staring that decision, you know, for that campground, I didn't see something. But then I saw what Jesus had in mind. Maybe you can relate. Maybe there are things that you have gone through looking back you understand. Maybe you're going through something now and you need to know perhaps there's more than meets the eye. I was comforted when I get in scripture and I see, I love when I see people that mess up like me. Uh, I can kind of relate a little bit. And we're going to look at a big event that happened around Jesus's time because they struggled with seeing something before them. And for me, it seems so clear as I read it. How could you miss this? But we're going to look at that this morning, and I want to get Bibles in your hands before we do that. So the ushers are coming down. They've got Bibles. We're going to be uh, John chapter 12 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, just signal to them. They will give one to you. It is our gift to you. We believe that those words in there are the truth, that they will help you see Jesus and grow in a relationship with him. 
Let me set the stage for you. This, this account we're going to look at, you'll see it in Matthew 21, you'll see it in Mark 11, you'll see it in Luke 19. So you can write those numbers down. Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19. We're going to be in John 12. They all give us some different angles to this strange event that's going to go on where there's more than meets the eye. The setting is Jerusalem. This is the city, the capital city of Israel. It is the holy city of Israel. And at this time, the time frame was probably March or April. It was spring. And this place was packed. People were coming from near and far for this feast, this celebration, this Passover feast. And so it was teeming with people. There wasn't enough room for everybody. And to get the picture in your mind, think not on size, but just what was going on. Think of New Year's Eve in New York City how everybody comes for this celebration. And there's not enough room in the restaurants, in the hotels, and all that, but it is packed with people. People are staying in New Jersey and coming to New York, people coming from Connecticut for this big celebration. That's one of the things, probably the most important, significant thing that people see at this time. But at the same time, out on the outskirts of Jerusalem, Jesus was doing ministry. And so he was healing people. He was helping the blind man see. He was teaching with authority. And people started following him. His popularity started to gain. He was raising dead people to life. So people started following him. So you got him out there. You got the people celebrating the Passover. Then you got some people who are hunting Jesus down. They want to kill him all during this time. They're looking for him. So if you can get that picture, they're in Jerusalem. They're looking for this guy because his popularity is gaining. And as we approach the text this morning, that's where, where we are. Jesus is right there coming into Jerusalem. And he's got people in front of him, people behind him, people all around him as he comes in to the city. And we read that in John chapter 12, verse 12. These are the words. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. With everything going on, whether they see it or not, there is this king that is coming into town. He, Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy that was given over 500 years ago. He is fulfilling that in that very moment. And they are shouting, Hosanna, which is, which is saying, save us, help, I pray. It's, it's a way to praise him. And they're yelling that some do not see it at all. They're there for that celebration. Others want to get them. But the truth is, there is this king that is coming into town. And a prophecy being fulfilled. And they're rolling out the red carpet for him. They're putting down palm branches, which is a sign for... So you do that when somebody is victorious, this king, whether they saw him as a political king, a spiritual king, they saw him as a king, somebody that was victorious. So they were putting down those palm branches. And then they were taking their coats, their cloaks, and they were putting them down on the road, which was a sign for an entrance for a ruler, to welcome a ruler, this king. So this big event that's going on, some saw it, saw the king, some didn't. And for those that saw him as king, 
by the end of the week, we know what's going to happen, right? We read the rest of the story. Some of those same people mock him, deny him, spit on him, and ultimately crucify him. And I read that and I say, how could they miss it? How could they not see Jesus for who he was, for who he is? He was telling them all about that. And then I'm reminded, hey, Rob, you kind of didn't see some things too, you know? And so I look at this account, and there are people, people looked for Jesus in different ways. They saw him differently, and they, they found who they were looking for, and they viewed him in different ways. One of the ways that these folks viewed him was as a roadblock. Some viewed Jesus as a roadblock. Not all of them. The Pharisees, for sure. They could not stand this guy who was gaining popularity and taking people away from them because they prided themselves in following the Old Testament law as you know, interpreted by the scribes, all 613 of them, and you better follow every one of those. And they would separate themselves if you, if you weren't following their laws, and they would judge you. And so here, you know, they trusted in themselves and their ability to follow all these laws. They fo- thought they were righteous. And there's this guy, Jesus, who's not following the letter of the law. So they were out to get him. He was a roadblock for them. And we read when he came into town, we read what what happens in John 12, verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one, one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. You see, they were all about compliance, all about following these rules. And they certainly didn't. They were used to having people flock to them. And now the people were flocking to Jesus. And they just were focused on the wrong thing. The inside did not match the outside for sure. You look on the outside, you're like, wow, they got it all together. Look at that. Executing perfectly. But if you could look inside, the motives and all, completely different. They weren't even equal. They they were focused on on the wrong thing. They were more about doing the mission of God, which is important. Don't, but if you put that ahead of the vision of God, that's what drives the heart. That's what makes you express and do the mission. They had it all reverse. And so for them, life was quite disappointing and frustrating. And I know if I tend to live this way, I go into a little mode of living where it's about the rules and doing things right, I'm setting myself up for disappointment because, first of all, I'm not perfect, so I'm going to be disappointed in myself a lot. And then those around me, you guys, you're not perfect, so you're going to frustrate me as well, you know? So I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be disappointed. I might get judgmental. I'm going to be jealous. It just, my my focus is in the wrong place. And maybe you can relate to that. Being a Christ follower, is it for you about following the rules? Because the, if there are rules, you know, that's not the important, it's the heart of God. Where are you at? Because you'll see yourself and others as a roadblock if you're living that way. And truth be told, we're the ones that are the roadblock. And just as the Pharisees didn't see the king coming, We may not see the king in our situation because for us, it is about following those rules. Now, for the next group of people, they didn't see Jesus as a roadblock. They failed to see the king, the true king, because they saw Jesus as a meal ticket. 
They saw Jesus. What can you do for me? What can I get from you? You know, what have you done for me lately? The Pharisees were about, you should be doing, you should be doing, here's what you should be doing, here's how to do it. These people, in one respect, they're following Jesus, which is a great thing, but they were more interested in what they could get. And for them, they weren't interested in the miracle worker. They were more interested in the miracle itself. You know, there were people there that saw him feed 5,000. They, they heard about him raising the dead. And so, there, you know, there were some people that were there probably for good and true and right reasons. But there were probably some people there that were there just, you know, they're like celebrity watchers. They're there for the hype. I even throw the disciples into this category at times. You're like, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Hey, you're, you're touching on sacred ground here. But... Listen, they got it in some senses, and then they didn't get it in some senses. They got it, they left all that they were doing, and they followed this king. But then you see them saying with Jesus, hey, who's going to be the greatest? I.e., you know, what's in it for me? Or James and John said, hey, how about, you know, all the guys are over there. How about you let one of us sit on the left, one sit on the right, you know, places of honor. Again, what's in it for me? So sometimes they got it, and sometimes they didn't. And that can be for us. We want to be around Jesus, but are we more interested in what he brings us or are we interested in him and having that relationship with him and pouring our energies into knowing him? Do we see Jesus as a meal ticket? There's a group of people that didn't see him as a roadblock, didn't see him as a meal ticket, but they truly saw him as Jesus the King. We're going to look at a couple, one of them in particular, but I want, in some of those other accounts, I just want to call out two groups of people real quickly that you can read about in Matthew 21. They saw him as king. One of them is the children. So, uh, the children were in the temple, and, and they, when you read the text, they saw him do wonderful things. Jesus do wonderful things. And the Pharisees are there, and it says they were indignant about this. They were indignant about a wonderful thing. They missed it totally. But Jesus talks to them, and basically what he said before, oh, how the children receive the kingdom of God, the faith of a child. These children got it. They saw him as king. In that same crowd was another group of people. It was the lame and the blind. And they saw him as king. They came and they were healed. And in one sense, their their disability, if you will, was something that was a gift to them because they couldn't truly rely 100% on themselves. They had to be dependent on somebody else. It made it easier for them, and so they were able to see the king for who he was, and they saw him. Just like we're going to look at today, one particular instance, Mary. This is the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus. Lazarus is the one who died. You know, and Jesus raised him from the dead. What I like, it's interesting about Mary, and I think the reason why she was able to see him as king, you read several times where Mary is at the feet of Jesus. And I think by looking at what she is doing every time she's at the feet of Jesus, it will help you and help me understand how not to miss the king day in, day out. 
the first time she's at the feet of Jesus is when she's at her sister's house. Martha had opened up her house for Jesus to come for a meal. And so Jesus comes in, and we read in in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus and his disciples were on their way, and he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, distracted, all the, distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you, worried, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. In that moment where Mary is at the feet of Jesus, she is listening and she is learning from him. She is all about just taking him in and understanding who he is in that moment. And you say, Rob, he's not, he's not physically here with me. How can I be at his feet and learning from him? You hold I hold, you hold something. One of the biggest ways we can learn about him is to read his word and hear about his coming and hear him coming and hear what he thinks about us and every those followers and what it was like for them. This is one of the biggest ways that we have to learn about him. Do we, do I every day go in here and I study, make it part of my life, study it, write it. It's not just for professional Christians, but we need to be in here on a daily basis meditating on it, and doing as we were talking about last week, praying, talking to him, listening to him. Those are times that we can be at his feet and be learning from him. And I think it's that time that she spends with him at the feet that helps her trust him, helps her to be able to see him in times that perhaps she couldn't. The second time that we see Mary at the feet of Jesus is when her brother Lazarus had died, been dead for four days. And what you need to know is that Martha and Mary sent for Jesus earlier to say, come, he's sick. And so where we come at this right now, Martha saw Jesus coming into town. It's too late. The guy's uh, four days dead. Martha sees him and says something and goes and gets Mary. And Mary says these words uh, as she's at the feet of Jesus. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Just a few verses earlier, her sister Martha said the same thing. Basically, they were saying, I believe that you are Jesus the Christ. I believe that you could do anything, even raise my brother to life as he did. I believe that you love me. And these are questions for us. Do we believe that he can do those things? Do we believe that he loves us, that he is involved in our day, and that he will act upon that loving us? Beyond the cross, which is the ultimate communication that he loves us. Do we believe that? Mary believed that. And the time she spent learning from him and interacting and growing in that relationship certainly helped her here when she was trying to trust and to believe. The last time we catch Mary at the feet of Jesus is while right at this where we kind of started, where Jesus is coming into town for this Passover feast. 
And we find Jesus in her home. And here's, here's what it says in John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a, point, uh, a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In that moment, she was just there serving Jesus with this expression of great, great love. She was serving him through just her time in that moment, her time to be able to take that perfume that if you read in Scripture says not only expensive, it was worth a year's wages. She took the time to get that and she took it and just put it on his feet. A whole year's salary, if you will. Put it on his feet. Just an expression of love and service. And she takes her hair, which this is a no-no because a woman in the presence of a man would leave the hair up. She takes, she blew away convention, took her hair down and just, she didn't care. She just loved him deeply and served him and wiped his feet. She was willing to do anything and give anything for the one that she loved. And that helped her, all of those things helped her see him as king, to be able to give all that you have and still trust, which makes us come full circle, come back with me right back to where Jesus is coming into town for this festival, for this Passover, because there's more than meets the eye there. Some thought it was the Passover party. It's this celebration. But there was so much more there that was going on. And many people did not see it, even the disciples. We read in Matthew, actually in John uh, let me find it, Sorry, John 12, verse 16, at his... At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. There was a whole lot more going on there. You see, this Passover was one of three great feasts that went on every year. This was the first of those feasts. It was for the Passover. And as part of that, it was to celebrate the freedom that God gave their ancestors when they were slaves in Egypt. And so Jesus the king is coming into town, whether they see it or not. He's hoping they do here. He uses that context. And what you've got to know is part of this, on the, open, the eve of the festival, uh, the celebration, a meal was shared. And it was a meal that, again, uh, remembered all that had gone on. And Jesus chose to use this meal to that last supper that we read about happens in this context. And I'm going to unfold that for you. But this is where Jesus calls his disciples to remember him. And it's a call that we use every week here to remember him. We do it through communion, this time that in the Lord's Supper. So the ushers are coming down with baskets, with the little packets of the bread and the juice. I want you to take one and hold that we'll take it together in just a few moments. But you got to understand this meal. As they were there for this meal, there was kind of a rhythm to the evening. It was a four-hour, probably around a four-hour celebration that revolved itself around four different cups 
of wine, which was a symbol for rejoicing. And so after the first cup, there was normally some kind of traditional blessing that went on, that was said. And then what followed that, and you can read about this in Exodus 12, is somebody would say, the children typically, I don't know who, uh, when Jesus was doing this, who said this, but they would say, what makes this day special? What makes it different from all others? And then they would go on and they would retell the story of their ancestors in Egypt and how they were slaves there and that God was putting his wrath on Egypt and there were several plagues and it came down to this last plague again which you can read in Exodus 12 and God instructed the people he said take a lamb and sacrifice that lamb and take the blood and put it on the sides of the door and on the top of the door frame and that blood as it dripped when God saw that he would pass over that home and no destruction would happen there and that they would have life and they would be free and go on to the promised land. This is something that as Jesus is doing this meal, this is what's being said. And there would be another cup and some, some singing of the Psalms and then it actually got to the meal. And the tradition at Jesus' time, the father would be there and he'd have three matzah, the unleavened bread, and the middle one had great significance. And the, they would take, the father would take that and break it in half because this, this middle one represented the sacrifice of that lamb for those people. And they would break it and then he'd put it in a satin holder. And then the other ones would go and touch in the other satin holder. And for me, I thought about that middle cross. Remember those three crosses? That middle one. Perhaps you're starting to see it. And then it would go on, they would, the, the family would eat. And as the kids were distracted, the father would go off and take that one that was broken, that matzah that was broken. And he'd go and hide it. And then after the meal, the kids would go in search of this special matzah. And they'd bring it back to the father. And then the father would take that bread and break it out and give it to everyone. You see it. I am that lamb that was sacrificed. The meal would go on, and the last cup would be followed by a prayer where the prayer would be something like, Lord, may your wrath come upon those nations that despise you. And if you read the rest of Scripture, like going in Matthew 26, what does Jesus say when he's praying? to his father. He said, Lord, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. You see, Jesus, there was a whole lot more going on here than all of those other things. He was boldly saying in that period, I am that lamb that was sacrificed for you so that the wrath of God does not touch you, but you have freedom through me. And that's each week we take and hold that that's what we are remembering him for and thanking him for that sacrifice that he made on that cross for us as the band plays just take time when you are ready remember his body broken for you and his blood shed for you so that you as a Christ follower may have that freedom and that life that their ancestors had